In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. At first glance, Isaiah is contradicting himself in our first reading. The passage is taken from the second album of Isaiah the Rapper. He's speaking to the Israelites in exile in this section of the 66th chapter book. It begins with reminding them of the Lord who opened a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. But then Isaiah, speaking for the Lord God, says, Remember not the events of the past. It seems silly. Why would he tell them not to remember the very things he just reminded them of? Well, it's because God is doing something new. In the desert, he makes a way. In the wasteland, rivers. Just as he did in the Red Sea, he's going to make a way again for the Israelites, this time in the desert, as they return from exile in Babylon. The prophecy continues that wild beasts will honor him, jackals and ostriches. Of all animals, why jackals and ostriches? Well, it's because in Isaiah's first album, back in chapter 35, which was before the exile, he said that God was casting a judgment upon Edom such that it shall become an abode for jackals, a haunt for ostriches. Now God is clearing the way. As the exiles go back home, they won't even have to worry about wild animals standing in the way. St. Paul uses a shocking word in our second reading. He says that he now considers everything as a loss and so much rubbish that he may gain Christ. This word rubbish, to put it gently, means something like waste. Sort of like those extra veggies you'd push around the plate as a child and then dump into the garbage can. But the word in Greek could also mean something more like excrement. In fact, the King James Version translates this word as dung. Speaking of translation, there's a big debate about a certain verse in this passage. St. Paul says that he has not righteousness of his own based on the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. But here's the tricky thing. This could be translated as faith in Christ or the faith of Christ. What's the difference? Faith in Christ would describe Paul's faith in Christ, while faith of Christ would describe Christ's own faith. It's a subtle nuance, very subtle, in fact, but one with huge theological implications. What is making Paul righteous? His faith in Christ or Christ's own faith? Given that for much of the passage, Paul is contrasting himself with Jesus, I believe faith of Christ makes more sense. Our translation at Mass, though, chooses against this and elects for faith in Christ. Yet controversy in our readings doesn't end with St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. A great majority of scholars hold that the gospel passage we hear this weekend from St. John's Gospel, the story of the adulterous woman, wasn't originally a part of John's Gospel. This is based upon a number of things. First, that this is the only place in the entire Gospel of John where the scribes and Pharisees are mentioned just like that as a group. Two, it's likewise the only time that Jesus is called teacher in the Gospel. Third, this story doesn't appear in any major Greek copy of John's Gospel until the 6th century. And lastly, in other manuscripts, this story appears in other places in John's Gospel, and a couple manuscripts even record this story in Luke's Gospel. All of this is to say that what we have here probably wasn't an original story in John's Gospel, but nonetheless, it is a story that's given to us as inspired in sacred scripture, and thus it has something to teach us about Jesus. The scene at hand is that the scribes and Pharisees are attempting to trap Jesus by bringing forward a woman caught in adultery. Here's the trap. 
Will Jesus say that she needs to be executed or not? If he says she needs to be killed for this crime, he's obeying the Mosaic law according to chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, yet he would be inciting murder, and this could be brought to the Roman authorities as a punishable crime. But if Jesus says that she shouldn't be killed for this crime, then he's not obeying the Mosaic law and is in contradiction to what Moses taught in the Old Testament. How will Jesus get out of this trap? Well, he famously says, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is important because, according to a passage in Leviticus, the witnesses to the crime had to be the first ones to begin the execution. Once they had started it, others could join in. So Jesus is saying, look, for those who saw what happened, if you are free of sin, you can begin the execution. And then, curiously, he bends down and begins to write on the ground with his finger. What did he write? There are a number of theories. One, that he was writing out a passage of Jeremiah, which talks about writing in the earth, and another that Roman judges would write out their sentences before speaking them out loud. If the most likely explanation is that Jesus didn't write anything of significance at all. Rather, he was just doodling and showing indifference. After all, if he did write something important, why wasn't that described in the story? Rather, the scribes and Pharisees had tried to trap him, but now he's put the ball back in their court and is waiting for them to make the next move. Of course, They all leave, and then Jesus says that even he does not condemn the woman. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this fifth Sunday in Lent in year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.